back to another episode of the Long Chair Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Johnny Weather. We've got Bradley Weather in the house tonight. Captain Morgan, a.k.a. his new name is Eeyore. And then, of course, hum- humbling us once again is Artist Jay tonight. We are super excited to have him. I'm going to cut this right over to Brad, but just remember, everybody, we're just four protein-consuming males who uh, basically are sitting on the psychiatrist's long chair, and we are talking about ideas for a healthier America. We want to give you a prescription tonight. We're going to give you some great info. Let's do this. What do you got, B? You know, my uh, father-in-law made me a St. Paddy's Day dinner. He made me the uh, corned beef and cabbage and potatoes. Almost made me talk like an Irishman for a little bit there, you know. <laughs> I was I trying to eat it, and I was trying to talk like an Irishman, and it didn't go over very well. My wife what would have appreciated think? that. I love yeah. it. I love it. Yes. I got shepherd's pie on St. Paddy's Day. That's We either do corned beef or we do shepherd's pie. I love it. I think we're you should do the rest of the show like that, Brad. We're both a little bit Irish, you know. Yep, totally. I have to do it. I want to see how long you can hold that. We'll go. Captain oh Morgan, what you got for us? My name is not Eeyore. I identify as a unicorn. Okay, get it right. And Bradley, I'm offended by what you just said because anyway, anyway, I was just scrolling the net, just looking up the article. Wait, 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 wait. Why are you, why are you offended? Because, uh... Because I was speaking yeah. Irish. Because you're making fun of the Irish, man. Come on now. They'll well, talk like that, do they? to make you feel at home, Captain Morgan. I'm not an Irish, me. though. Well, I'm a unicorn, okay? So there you go. Uh, anyway, Unicorns I was on. Unicorns are Irish. They got their luckily Irish or something, you know. Yeah, okay. <laughs> well, but beautiful rainbows and sunshine is all good. But anyway, I was up on CNN looking at articles because, hey, that's what a degenerate like me does. And I've come across an article that says UBS is buying credit suits in a bid to help the banking crisis. What What's your take on that, guys? I almost fell out of my chair when you said you were reading CNN. Did you say CNN? That's correct, CNN. You got to you got to look at them all. You were one of the eleven people that read their stuff today. Wow. Okay. Yeah, well, I, I I'll, guess. I'll tell you. Go ahead, Brad. You, you rock with this for starters. What do you got? You gonna well, play I a video just, or something? I just happened to find the audio on this. Yeah. Well, let's hear it. Will this UBS move to halt the panic? Will this work? Huge question. Um, It certainly should help to secure some amount of comfort in at least Europe about, you know, whether we were going to see an orderly resolution to Credit Suisse. You know, I think this was kind of hanging over markets. There was a lot of rush to get this done before Asian markets opened. And the fact that they've successfully done that, I think, should, you know, at least inject some amount of sense of comfort that, you know, these these sort of things can reach a timely resolution and that financial authorities at any rate are on top of these problems. The two lenders that failed last week, do you see the Fed's action playing into this crisis? Yeah, I think Credit Suisse's problems were many varied and actually predated a lot of the Fed's interest rate moves. You know, we had seen scandals in Credit Suisse. We had seen some problems in their investment banking arm. I think what really happened here is we saw the demise of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank in the United States, which were very much tied to the Federal Reserve's interest rate hiking cycle. And with those, I think you got this real collective look around by investors in the banking space saying, you know, who else is weak? Who else in the banking industry isn't looking great these days? And that's really what came home to roost for Credit Suisse. I don't think it was necessarily the same variety of problem. It was just that they were in the same industry at a time when there was sort of blood in the water and the sharks were circling. Well, I got to I gotta just jump in here real quick. Brad, before I Credit Suisse this lady up like a Julian salad, 
please, do you have the clip in 2017? I don't remember the month, but there was a clip of the Credit Suisse CFO speaking about Bitcoin being in a bubble. That was the most asinine, ridiculous answer I had ever heard. But please, go ahead, if you got it. Well, I went to CNBC, I clicked on the video, and it says this video file cannot be played. Error. <laughs> Interesting. But um, I can read here from the Credit Suisse, or Suisse. Now, when I see Credit Suisse, I always think of Dr. Suisse. CEO says banks have little or no appetite to get involved with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies due to fears of a bubble and illicit activity associated with it. Interesting. Let's shred this, everybody. Pay attention. America, this is called a bull trap. That's what we're in right now. Remember the reason for the demise of these banks, Signature Bank, SVP, Credit Suisse. The reason was because of something called held to maturity bonds. This is when our banks feel like they're investing securely and safely in the U.S. Treasury market. They buy bonds. They pay a price for them. They cannot sell them until they are matured. The problem is, is when they've matured, the Federal Reserve, a.k.a. Jerome Powell and friends, had raised interest rates so many times that he had caused massive losses on these bonds. Imagine paying a dollar for something, you're required to hold it, and then by the time you get to sell it, it's worth a quarter. This is what our banks are dealing with right now. She is full of baloney. And the reason I say this is, is because Credit Suisse, if you were in good shape as of a few days ago, when you were worth $8 billion of assets left, why did you sell for $3.2 billion? Why did everybody, why did 17 million get knocked, 17 billion get whacked from the bond market today? It got whacked. You sold the company at a low value because you knew the losses were going to be much more detrimental. Now, as far as the knucklehead CEO, uh, just like Jim Cramer has pumped the table and pounded the table several times on Credit Suisse, going all the way back to 2008, when these stocks were at all-time highs and have nothing but collapsed ever since. This morning, Credit Suisse went from $2.11 roughly on its Friday close, opened up today at like $0.87 cents on the buyout. That whacked out $17 billion of, of bondholder profits. They're gone. These people lost their money. The bottom line is this. The reason this is not over with is because of, like I just said, banks are holding these bonds called held to maturity. They cannot unload them off their balance sheet until they mature. And right now, Fed Chairman uh, Jerome Powell continues to raise interest rates. Every time he raises rates, the cost of that, the, 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 the price of that bond goes down. Therefore, banks are taking massive losses. And they can't report all these losses until when? Until they mature. So this lady is nothing more than a talking head. The fact of the matter is, is this problem is not over. And if you follow it and you go back to, I think it was 1973, I think it was. And then of course, 1998. And now today, these bull traps are absolutely almost mirror images of each other. And I truly believe we are headed to a major crash within the, not only the stock market, the European market, the Hang Seng market, the DAX, all of them. I think we're going to have a serious collapse and I think we're going to have a banking crisis of a major economic crisis on our hands because they are not telling us the truth. Remember, it wasn't five days ago. Jim Cramer said, don't sell Credit Suisse, buy it. 
These are great prices. Jim, might I remind you, the stock went in the last five years from 80 bucks a share to $2. When you were beating up the apes for buying AMC and raising that price up, you were like, it's a junk stock. Look at the chart. It's gone all the way from this down to here, almost zero. Now it's all the now it's back up. You pounded the table on Credit Suisse. Once again, Jim Cramer, you really think you give good investment advice? People lost a lot of money because of you again. I can't stand talking heads like this. That's my rant. America, pay attention. These banks are in no good shape right now for you. And, and as far as beating up on the crypto market, um, just one more tidbit here. From that time, Bitcoin went from, I don't remember, 15,000 or whatever, raced up to 70,000, definitely in a bubble, crashed down to 12,000, now back up to 28,000. I would rather be in an asset that's worth $28,000 than an asset that's worth zero. This is a tough decision for Powell, right? Because he raises the interest rates because of consumers spending too much and uh, the value of the dollar. But then on the other side, he's got the banking system that uh, you're taking away the profits and uh, what they're relying on to collateralize a lot of their uh, their debts. So it's uh, interesting. It's, it's not just a simple, simple answer. And this is why when Alan Greenspan was the head of the Federal Reserve, everybody would would wonder when he was going to go to the bathroom. If he went at the right time, then everybody was okay. But if he went early, they wanted to sell <laughs> everything because it meant that something was wrong. And if he went late, they were buying, buy, 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 because something right. was going to be wonderful. So it's not an easy job, but you have to understand it, right? I mean, you've laid it out pretty simply, and now it's not just There's as easy as, hey, keep raising, keep raising. Brad, well, he's really... I was wondering if you could go back and play that clip of me from about 18 months ago on the show where I talked about the Board Ape Yacht Club. And I said at that point in time that no matter where you invest your money, I don't, you know, I'm going to put my money in the Board Ape Yacht Club because at the end of the day, at least I still have an Ape NFT. Whereas these people are holding nothing. Nothing. And, and, and I would say this on the Jerome Powell front. Jerome Powell, I realize that Senator Warren is calling for your head. I'll take SVB, for example, the Silicon Valley Bank. Um, out of all the board members, one of them actually had banking experience. Just one. Where was your regulator? Where, where was it? Where was the risk officer? And by the way, if the federal regulator was in there, wouldn't the federal regulator have noticed, hey, um, Jerome, if you keep raising interest rates, you're squeezing their books big time and you're causing them billions of dollars in losses. But here's the problem. Like all industries in the world, we have federal regulators out there that aren't actually regulating, and they're certainly not bringing the information back. So it frustrates me. Everybody wants to call for the head of the CEO and bury him, but nobody wants to hang Jerome Powell. Jerome, it's your office that's supposed to be regulating this. I'm an anti-Fed guy. I don't think the Fed should be manipulating the market or pumping cash into it. They shouldn't be doing that. But since we have a Fed, we have to have regulators. If those regulators aren't reporting back this information to the Fed, then we're all in trouble. And here's Powell in a real pickle, as you said, Brad. The real pickle is Jerome's got to make a decision this week. Do we raise rates a quarter? Do we raise rates a half? Or do we not raise? Here's the problem. You raise a half, you're going to have a serious market crisis. If you raise nothing, then you're saying the banks are weak and you have a serious crisis. So I'm saying Jerome Powell is going to raise a quarter percent this week because he wants to try to play the middle ground. Who is the uh, individual at SBB that had the banking experience? Uh, it was actually the CEO. 
That was the one. Yeah. Thank goodness, right? Um, Greg but Becker. he was smart. Yeah, smart guy. I mean, he sold all his shares two weeks ahead of time and ran to Hawaii. Smart dude. I, I'm sorry. Wow. You smart. can call him a crook. I'll call him a crook. That's fine. But hey, he sold while it was still worth something. Here's the way I look at it, Johnny. I mean, the regulators, if you're asking for the regulators to get more involved, you're asking for more government involvement in private industry. And I, I disagree with that. He's, he's the president, CEO of that bank. You don't, as a conservative banker, you don't gamble your depositor's money with buying a speculation stock or a speculation cryptocurrency or something like that. I mean, what is the reason a bank would take money and speculate? There's really no well, reason well, for that, right? You're, you're taking an undue risk for, with your depositor's money. If you want to take on a conservative investment, but he did. that's he did. Well, it wasn't, the, it wasn't share, the other stuff. It was the bonds that crushed them because they bought billions in bonds. And when they sold them, they were worth hundreds of millions because they had held to maturity securities. It wasn't his crypto investments. It wasn't it was, the, the yeah. venture capitalist money. It was the bonds that crushed him. Just like that's why they had to shut Signature Bank down on Friday night. That's why Credit Suisse just went under. What started the whole problem was is their investment in Bitcoin. They had to devalue their assets $1.8 billion. That sent a signal. And then because they invested in treasuries, like you said, it caused the whole snowball. So crypto played a big part of it. It kind of sent the flare over the bow of the ship. See, I think the CEO, we, we, all, we let all of these CEOs make all this money when they go in and they become the CEO of this company and their investments is in the stock and their value goes way up. But when it goes way down because of something that they did, they don't want to take that loss and they need to. In a oh, conversation yeah. that you and I had previously, I think we came up with an answer on how to we stop that. We came up that. with the final solution as well. I think so. Yeah. You want to share? You want to recap that? Well, sure, we'll do a quick one. I mean, it's pretty simple, folks. You want to stop these CEOs from being crooks. It's real simple. A CEO, you have two things, two obligations. When you sell your shares, <clears throat> when you sell your shares as a CEO, you must wait 120 days plus one, so 121, before you can execute and get your money. That's step one. Number two is you're always in preferred shares, not common stock shares. So every time you do this and you sell, your shares must be converted to common stock and be sold at the current market. So the point is, is that if you make them wait a full quarter in a day, all the reporting is going to be out and you can't have this uh, two weeks later, the bank goes under and I sold all my shares two weeks ago. So we have a solution, but Lord knows ain't no Republican or Democrat. And I would guarantee you, Senator Warren, if you're listening, you ain't going to do it either. You're all talking no action. This country needs regular people like Johnny Weather, Bradley Weather, Captain Morgan, and Artis J to actually be the people running Congress because sensible heads know if you implemented these two programs, 121 days till you can get paid on your stock and your stock reverts to common shares, not preferred shares, and you sell at market price, there's no way for you to do this again, ever, to anybody. When we're talking about this, but, you know, and people wonder why there's a lot of people in this country, a lot of average Joes, who, A, turn this crap off and don't care anymore because what they're seeing is that no matter what they do, no matter what happens, nobody who's in power 
suffers the consequences. Meaning, if you're in a government position, if you're a government regulator, if you're a politician, if you're a bank CEO, you could do whatever you want to do. You could cheat the system, you could cheat everything, and you do nothing bad will happen to you. You'll get a slap on the wrist and out the door. And every institution in this country, there's a lot of people who feel that it's failed because you know what? It is failing. Everything's failing, and you can't trust the system. Proof's in the pudding. We can't trust voter fraud. You want to talk about that? Can't trust that system. Can't trust the bank system. Can't trust the federal regulators to take care of the environment. Can't trust that stuff. Can't trust anything. It's a trust breaking breaking point. You know, maybe Bernie Sanders was on to something. Just saying. Or on something. I think one of the problems too is is that you're when you're talking about banking, traditionally anyway, you're you're talking about an industry that is raised on speculation. Their entire portfolio is built on speculating whether that business is going to succeed or not. And based on that is your return on your investment with your investor. So you have to make those decisions wisely. And I think the catch to this is how do you stay revolutionary, invest just the right amount in crypto or whatever new technology is there? Because you don't want to be sitting there without any of that in your portfolio, too, if that takes off. I wouldn't want to be a, a bank CEO any more than I'd ever want to be president of the United States. I mean, it has to be the shit job on earth. You know, you've got, and the, the second you become public, you have to not only satisfy the, the board of directors, you got to satisfy every single one of those shareholders. You have to. You have to constantly stay at the cusp of revolutionizing the business while staying safe enough and things invested correctly where you're not going to have a Swiss bank or whatever happen. That's my two cents. I think your two cents is fabulous, but I think Brad and I have had a wonderful conversation about this. And I think Brad has an opportunity right here to tell you about a bank that does exactly what kind of the opposite of what you described. The bank I used to work for that uh, is part of WTF. I used to, I used to hate that, that bank and I used to love that bank. I mean, the job I had with them, I just absolutely loved. I would, I would go out and I would visit with business owners. And, you know, when I walked in the door, it was either I, they hated me and I had, and because my character flaw, I had to overcome that and make them love me or they loved WTF. Right. And so it was never anywhere in the, in the middle of, Hey, let's have a conversation and let's talk about it. The thing that I hated about WTF is that they always were behind in technology. They were always behind what the trend was. They were not at the beginning of the trend and competing with these um, other more trendy banks and those kinds of things. It was hard to sell because, Hey, I got this new technology over here that I can take a picture and I can deposit a check and deposit money. And so it was very frustrating, but at the end of the day, what they did was, and which I love about them. And I, I learned to love about WTF is that what they do is they take what is happening they perfect it and then they put it out into the market. So they're not going to be the first, but they will be after a while, they will be the best. And so that's where I come from. That's my, that's kind of my philosophy. And, you, and you're right, Jay, I, artist Jay, I am the, I am the typical conservative banker that, you know, that's where my life is, is I take it seriously when I have deposits from a, a, a company and a loan out to them for them to grow their business. And I've got treasury management products working uh, for them and, and that I don't want to mess with that. Right. And I think some of these CEOs 
while I agree with you, they need to be able to move quickly, which I think WTF was one of the one of the ones that um, incorporated AI into their online. But I, I, you're right, they have to be able to do that, but they also have to be cognizant that they are in charge of people's money. And I think now that outweighs any trying to make millions of dollars from something. Now you keep referring to it as WTF. What's the ticker symbol? I believe it's WFC, isn't it? <laughs> it is WFC. What we're talking about, folks, is Wells Fargo Banking. And I have to concur with exactly what my brother Brad said. Wells Fargo has a serious reputation, and this is why they're still there, even though they're actually Norwest Bank, and Wells Fargo's been gone since, I think, 1993 or 1998, but kept the name. Wells Fargo has been a company that will never be the forefront revolutionary bank that's coming out with the next best product. They will never do it. They will always watch their competitor go first. They will watch their competitor trip and fall and learn the lesson. They will perfect their product to a better product. And when it's ready to roll out and be executed, then they will do it. That has been the Wells Fargo motto. That's why they're still here. I do believe with what Brad is saying. There's a unique thing about Wells Fargo. They will not invest too much money into any sector. They have caps for every sector. They will not invest. If you're a business owner coming into the restaurant business, they don't like that. That's not their bread and butter. And the reason for that is, is because most actual restaurants, startup restaurants, they don't make it three years. The majority of them fail within three years. So a good business principle is to limit where those heavy risks are. And Wells Fargo does a phenomenal job at limiting that risk. And, and I will tip my hat to the JP Morgan. I'll tip my hat to the Chase and the B of A. They all use this business model. And this business model is what makes them the four biggest. There's a reason for it. When your other banks like an SVP and you're running out there doing every startup venture out in Silicon Valley, you're bound to lose a few. I mean, the, the odds are against you. Um, and having good risk management is crucial to running a bank. But again, none of this is going to matter because, Brad, you made a comment that you don't like the federal regulators and you don't want them. And I concur. I 100% concur with you. But if there's going to be a Federal Reserve that's going to pump fake money in and blow up our inflation numbers by dumping trillions and billions of dollars in currency and making currency off the printing press, so to speak, if there's going to be that, then there has to be regulators. So for me, I'm going to abolish the Fed guy. Anybody who knows me knows, eliminate the Federal Reserve, let the market have its ebbs and flows, and let corporate America gobble up bad companies. Credit Suisse would have been gone a lot long ago had they actually let the ebbs and flows, along with many of these bad banks. First Republic, gone. These banks should have been out of business many moons ago, but they're not. And the reason is you can thank Jerome Powell for the Federal Reserve. And I forgot the president who started it. And I have to look at my history. We did it on the last episode. Woodson, I do believe. Was it Wilson, Woodrow Wilson, um, started the Federal Reserve. You can thank him for this problem. Nonetheless, I concur with you, Brad. Good risk management, and the same thing Artist J is saying, it's a tough job being a bank CEO because you invest into treasuries. Because why? Well, treasuries have typically always been a safe investment. U.S. government debt has always been a safe investment. Right now, they're getting burned on it. It's looking like a risky play. So is there a reason why they're raising the rates then? I mean, are they doing this to the banking industry on purpose? 100%. You can't be the head of the Federal Reserve and not understand how changing rates of the central bank affect everybody, right? 
they affect consumers, they affect the banks and how they borrow to their other banks. I mean, all of that plays into it. Well, you know, with the Federal Reserve, the rates have been really low right before and COVID hit, right? They've been near 0% for I don't know how many years. And our previous president, Trump, has rallied against Powell to, you know, do whatever the hell he does. And what I think happened is I think they waited way too long these zero interest rates. And when they started raising them, they did it way too late. And, and Powell had to get this under control quickly. And that's probably why he raised them as quickly as he did, because how many in a year, how much did that prime rate go up? It went up a lot. You're talking, I don't know how many points, but it went up. So you're going from 0% at the end of the Trump administration, or near zero, to what's the prime rate now? 4.5%? That's too quick. That's very quick. And I think they should have done a better job back then and slowly raised the rates up and not kept them at zero for so long. I'll let someone who has more knowledge of this topic take that over. No, you're, you're speaking from the layman's term, Captain, and you're 100% right. And the reason this is really going to be a problem, and I'm going to throw it out there, because guess what, everybody? Here comes the bomb of the century that no one's paying attention to. Like my friend Captain Morgan just said, the prime rate has shot way up. What is, the, so what is the prime rate directly associated to? It is directly associated to your home equity line of credit. Right now, we have a serious double, if not triple down problem coming in America. We've got a, a tremendous amount of home equity lines of credits out there. We've got a lot of people who have maxed out their credit cards. They're using those home equity lines of credit. Those home equity lines of credit typically run at a 1% repayment or they run at an interest only. They typically do that for the first 10 years of the mortgage. After that 10 years, they re-amortize that into a fully amortized rate, which is going to be nearly twice as much, if not three times your current rate. And they're going to amortize that over 15 years on a fully amortized payment. What that really means to you is, is if you have a home equity line of credit out there. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me finish this part real quick just to triple down it. The third part of that problem is your values of your homes are going down. As your values go down, the banking system uses, in the mortgage world, they use a system that rates your city, your zip code, based on the value going up or down of your, of your real estate in that area. When your real estate is going down, they give it a severity level of a three or a four. If you're in a three or a four severity level, you can't borrow anymore. They're never going to give you a home equity, which means your refinance is out the door. So now you're stuck with that home equity line of credit. Your rate is doubled or tripled, and your payment is about to go up two to three fold. It's going to double to triple your monthly payment. So all these people paying 250 bucks for their equity line may end up with a 550 to 750 or $800 a payment per month that they're obligated to do, or you're going to get foreclosed on. This is a serious problem that's about to hit America, and nobody sees it. The banks don't want to talk about it. Nobody wants to talk about it, but it all stems back to what Captain Morgan is saying is that when the Fed's raising these rates, they are directly impacting your personal line of credits and your, more importantly, your home equity lines of credit. So I've got news for you folks. If you got a home equity line of credit, find a way now to get out while you can, or at least go out and refinance it, start your term back over, and maybe turn it into a home equity loan, not a home equity line of credit. That way you can fully amortize it over, say, a 25-year period of time instead of a 10- or 15-year period of time, which shrinks your term and increases your payment exorbitantly. Well, you guys are talking about Wells Fargo. And it's interesting you mentioned that because a couple of years ago, and I talked to Johnny here about this, I went in and tried to get a home equity line of credit myself. 
um, because my house value is high as well. Wells Fargo has told me directly, we don't deal with that stuff. We don't touch it. We're done with it. We don't like it. We don't touch it because of the economic regulations or whatever. We don't want to do it. I am now thinking understand that Wells Fargo might be <laughs> a safer bank because they don't take the risk. They told me straight up, we're not taking you. Either way, that's just a little tidbit that I live my life, which makes sense now that we know what's coming on. Uh, you always bring us the common man approach. We greatly appreciate that. I don't know if you guys have a HELOC, a home equity line of credit. I do. I use it accordingly. I'm not worried about it going up. Um, again, minimal balances. Try to keep your debt low. Keep your assets high. That's my motto. Um, always has been that way. To, to the folks out there, it's just a warning for you. Don't act like these things can't touch you. This banking thing isn't done. I'm explaining the reasons why this is not over with. As much as the lady on CNN, God forbid, CNN is touting that we're in good shape. We're not. And as this thing continues to collapse, it doesn't matter what bank, all the banks are going to get hurt. So if you're an investor, I'm still pumping the brakes, leaving it in cash. I'm waiting for a great opportunity to buy. If Wells gets down into the $30 mark, I might start picking up a few. If it gets to 20, I might be becoming a heavy buyer at that point. So uh, 52 week low is I think somewhere around 18 bucks or something. So to me, those are the numbers I'm looking for. But again, I'm a guy that likes to buy low and sell high. Don, you hit on something too just there that I kind of chuckled when you said that, but I was like, wow. Unfortunately, that's where a lot of people are going to get their information on where to invest their money is from CNN and these news stories because they're a trusted source. So, <laughs> trusted source? Oh, Lord, well, that's so funny. <laughs> I, well, and Jim Kramer, too. Booyah, Jim. Right? You know, and unfortunately, that's where the masses are going to stick their money. So it is important how they report this stuff. That was a good point you made. So, No, you're right on. And watch out for the bull trap, baby, because it's here right now, and it's coming hot and heavy. I think we're heading to a serious down market. I have a position on a short in the market. I think the Dow, I've played shorts at 10,000 points lower. People think I'm crazy, and I'm like, no way. I get a 5,000-point drop in the Dow. I'm making huge returns while I'm sitting in cash on everything else. And why shouldn't it happen? Why? You know what the Johnny Weather telling Artist Jay? He's right. <laughs> you know what's also yes, Artist Jay. On? I am on. I do know what I'm talking about. Yes, Artist Jay. <laughs> Just watch, Artist Jay. You watch. You watch the bull trap. It's coming. As a matter of fact, I think the bull trap was today. I think the triple top hit today. It's the bull trap, and today is March twentieth, twenty twenty three. Quote me on saying it. I believe today was the bull trap, and we're going to see a serious bear run after this. Well, you, you mentioned people get the news from, you know, Jim Grimm. You know where I get a lot of my investment stuff from? CNN. No, no. The I don't, I don't man know. on the corner? YouTube. From other users. From other the, content the creators. Shiner. Content creators. I trust content creators on TikTok Popcorn and YouTube seller. over anything the news programs say. Because you know what? They're just like me. They're doing the same thing I'm doing. And they're making it. And they've proven that they are. So, you know, just what they do. And it works. Well, think about the economy here. The economy, I mean, you're trying to slow it down, but we need it to grow, don't we? I mean, we're we're coming out of a, a pandemic and we're struggling at this moment. Now you add on top of that, if you try and slow the consumer and you stop the banking industry, that, that's like putting on the brakes like extra hard and pulling on the emergency brake and, and all that. So I, I think uh, they got to be careful here. Absolutely have to be careful. Ebbs and flows. 
ebbs it's a thin line. and flows. Do you know who else has to be careful? The states have to be careful. I just saw that there are two states that are currently ranked choice voting. I know this one. Yay. I want to okay, solve so Alex, I'm hitting the button. I'm hitting the button. You're hitting Alex, the button. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, put oh, it in the form what of a question. Is, what is Maine and Alaska for the win? <laughs> Did you double double down? Oh, I, I, I was, was going to say Alaska and California. Nope, nope. No. It's Maine and Alaska. Those Johnny are the two is right. Those have rec- I'm a big ranked choice anti-guy. Statewide yeah. ranked choice. Yeah, and you boys in Minnesota are toast. We already have a few cities that are ranked choice. If I remember off the top of my head, I know Bloomington is one of them. Minneapolis, St. Paul. Ranked choice voting is here. They're talking about there's a bill that is going to make it statewide here. So we will be the third state. Let's let's say like somebody lives in like the northern suburbs and doesn't know what ranked choice voting is. Could you give us a quick rundown of what ranked choice voting consists of, please? In a nutshell, a lot of people get confused by this. Number one, in order to win ranked choice voting, you have to have 50% or more of the votes. That's number one thing you have to learn. So what you do is you have to have a certain number of, of candidates for your party on the ballot. Democrats are phenomenal at this. This is why Republicans are getting their butt kicked. As a matter of fact, I think it was Sarah Palin. Wasn't she the one that ran up there in Alaska and just lost because of ranked choice? Well, let's give them, let's give them the base. So The base is got- simple. You've got Republicans, got, Democrats, Independent, Libertarian, Green right. Party. They yep. all want to run for a position. Yep. So say you put 15 people on the ballot, right? And all 15 people are different parties. When you go to vote on the ballot, you're going to have, you get to pick in your order these people. So let's say I voted Artist J first and Bradley Weather second and Captain Morgan third and Johnny Weather fourth, right? But let's say when all the votes are tallied, even though I put Bradley Weather second and Artist J first, Artist J only got 13% of the vote. Bradley took 38% of the vote. I took 5% and Captain took a few more percentage points. What happens is, is they eliminate, they're going to knock off the bottom person and they're going to capture those votes and move it to your next person you voted for. And they're going to continue this process until... And they're going to keep eliminating votes. And there's still also a burn vote in there, too, which we ain't even going to get into. But there's a burn vote in there where your vote didn't even count anymore. But essentially, they're going to push these votes up. And ultimately, if Bradley Weather was the number two vote getter in the very beginning, but in the end, all the votes, Brad was picked number two by a lot of people, he's ultimately going to win. Even though Artist J ended up with the majority at the front, it doesn't matter what Artist J got because all those back votes that that got burned out, that weren't allowed to vote. That, I'm sorry, all the people that voted for Captain Morgan, who got the least amount, they move up to the next people, which if their next person was Bradley Weather, all their votes are going to move to Brad. If Johnny Weather's votes moved to Artist J next, my votes would go to Artist J, and so on until they hit a 50% number. This is the problem with ranked choice voting. People have to know every single candidate. They can't just pick one, two, three, four, five, six. You can't do that because that's how Democrats end up winning. Comment and a question on that. So first of all, thank you for for that. Uh, Help me understand things. Uh, My comment is at least that makes it more clear and easy. And and, and my question is, is why? Why would you ever put that in place? 
because Democrats win every single time because they have more candidates on the docket, period. When you can put up five, six, seven, and, and Republicans in Minnesota, I am giving you the best advice to win a ranked choice ballot. The number one way to win a ranked choice ballot is to simply line up your voters and make sure you have at least five candidates. That's the problem. How many places can we not even get one Republican or two Republicans to run? If you can't get five to run, you don't stand a chance because if Democrats put seven up, as these people drop all their numbers in, because you got to vote all the numbers all the way down. If there's seven on the ballot, you're going to pick seven and put the choice you want them. You might put all the Democrats at the bottom, but guess what? If all my Republicans, if I put two Republicans up and they both get eliminated, all my votes now go to those Democrats in the end. And, it and more importantly, you learn things listening to the show. You learn things. I'm trying to warn people. Ranked choice, believe it or not, can work if you have enough candidates. This is where Democrats whip Republicans. It's the truth. And it's also, believe it or not, how you could end up with a socialist, how you could end up with a libertarian, how you could end up with a Green Party or an independent party. If they get enough people, believe it or not, you could see a fourth person, someone that starts on the initial ballot, end up with the fourth in fourth place with votes actually win this thing because of the way they slide the scale up when they eliminate people. That's how it works. It's ugly. Well, if we go ahead and let's say that let's whatever rain choice gets invalidated or whatever they allow it, then wouldn't the counter to this would be to just get rid of the nomination process at our conventions for the statewide level because we could put all our statewide candidates on the ballot for governor and we might have a better shot as our side for winning that because when you go to a caucus, I I know for a fact when you go to a convention, you do this on your side. You have six or seven candidates, each of the delegates support, and then they make your speech and you make your votes. And then if they don't make sense threshold, they get dropped. You keep going until you get a 50 plus 1% majority. And that's how the that's how our system is. I don't know how the other side does it anymore, the, the, the Democrat side. But that's how the Republican side, at least in Minnesota, works for our convention. So – wouldn't we just as as just get rid of the conventions altogether and delegates and just put all the candidates on the ballot? And then a caveat to this is it does force the people to do the research. How do you do the business of the Senate district then? How do you do the business of the Minnesota GOP? I mean, they if they want to change their articles or bylaws or anything like that, how well, do you, you go get to, that done? You go to a state that has a primary system for the party and how they select the candidates and see what what they do. Forget your convention, forget your primary. None of this works. Now, you can still primary, but even when you primary, even if they primary, it's an open primary now. That's the system. It becomes an open primary. And I believe in Minnesota, you're an open primary state anyways, where Democrats can vote for Republicans and Republicans can vote for Democrats, if I remember correctly. In a way, so, you have to, for an open primary state where you have to vote one side of balance. So if you go with the thing, you can say, I want the Democrat ballot. That's all you can vote for. If I want a Republican, Correct. vote Republican or Independent. Yep. You can't cross the ballot and say, get one ballot and say, I want this Republican for this race. And for this race, I want this Democrat and vice versa. You can't do no, that. No, no, but I can go. But if I was a Democrat in your state in a primary situation, I could vote for the Republican. Yes, you can. Yep. That's that's what I'm saying. It's an open primary when it comes to your voting. It doesn't matter whether you're a registered Democrat, Independent, Libertarian, Green Party, Peace Party. I don't care. You can vote for whoever you want to. So the primary, 
really matters to a certain degree because if you can put up, like you said, in your race last uh, last governor's race, you guys had like 11 candidates for governor. If you had 11 candidates for governor, you'd have a shot at actually winning. You believe it or not, you'd actually have a shot at winning the governor. But you got to get all 11 to run in the primary to try to eliminate the Democrats leaving yourself like they did in Alaska against Sarah Palin, leaving yourself only two Democrats, which is what they did there, you would leave yourself only two Republicans in the general election. This is what happens in California all the time. The Democrats put up six candidates, Republicans put up two, the Democrats have two or three that appeal to the middle of the road Republicans, middle of the road Democrats, they weed out the Republicans and then it's the top three Democrats and you never see a republic hardly ever i shouldn't say never you hardly ever see a republican that uh, wins a seat bingo and you if, if we had an applause that was the moment cuz you hit the hammer on the nail you said it they put up six republican oh there it is that's it you got it cuz that's what they do in cali that's what they did in alaska that's what they do in maine and i can tell you this Democrats and Republicans, I can tell you this, the Republicans in Minnesota, when this passes, you'll never, ever, ever, unless your voters get smartened up to this, you're never going to win again. You need a well, lot of people running. We've already That's seen not going to change right now. Minnesota never sends a chance. Minnesota's, the Republican Party in this state is gone. And I was just going to say the Minnesota GOP there, they are old school. They are negotiate and Let's talk about what we want to do, and then let's get around to it. And know, you know what? We missed the timeline. Let's just stick with what we had. They are not the ones that are going to change their views on societal issues or things like that. So it's, uh, yeah, you're right. It's a lost cause. Unless we get somebody in the chair, if you want to move to Minnesota, Johnny, and, and run the, the Minnesota GOP and uh, change it, you know, that would be, I mean, can well, you, you know? Can, you, you all had Scott Jensen up there running. And what a lot of people don't realize is Scott Jensen, as a senator, was a supporter of ranked choice voting as a so-called conservative senator. Um, he I think it was only because Scott didn't really know what he was doing. But there is a bill out there that everybody can read if you look it up where Scott Jensen, it's a news article out there where Scott Jensen was on the side of Democrats supporting ranked choice voting while he was a senator. Even if Jensen would have won, I still think ranked choice voting would have been coming to your state one way or another. It's unfortunate, but if Republicans wisen up and learn from what the Democrats' playbook is, sure, you can win, but you got to have a lot. If you don't put a lot of candidates up, you're toast. It's all about the number of people. Well, and if you don't think that ranked choice is actually put forth by Democrats, I, uh, I pulled up the Fair Vote Minnesota here. These are people that are proponents of the Fair Vote Minnesota, which is, um, as they call it, uh, RCV, Ranked Choice Voting. You can tell that the governor and the lieutenant governor are on here. And then there are six other senators that are highlighted on the, on the front Including part of this Including the Senate Majority Leader. Yeah, ma the uh, Representative uh, Melissa Hortman, who is the Speaker of the House, was the Speaker of the House, uh, older information there. Then you've got state senators. I, I don't know if you guys can pick out anybody that's a Republican here. Let me see. You guys see anybody here? I don't. I don't see Not anybody one. here. Every Ann one Rest. of those people are uh, 
Aaron Murphy, Leedzik. Scott Dibble, Lindsey Port. St. Louis Park, right? Aaron yeah, Murphy is definitely Democrats. not. Sandy Pappas is definitely not. Aaron May Quaid is definitely not. You know, those are the rest Aaron of the Aaron Cagle. Isn't that one over in uh, Captain's District, Aaron Cagle? No, nope, no, no. She's not anymore. close to your district. That's right. You have, uh, oh, there's that Zach Stevenson guy. You know, you hear my real quick side tidbit on Zach Stevenson. Zach Stevenson is a married man with children who has no way of really empathizing with the Democrat Party. So all of a sudden, like three weeks ago, he came out as bisexual. That's his uh, touch to the Democrat Party. And he went around to people telling people that he, he wasn't going to be all big into abortion and whatnot. And of course, when Minnesota decided to pass the most egregious abortion laws in the state or in the country, uh, he was right there to champion with that bill. So I just I like picking on Zach Stevenson. He's a first time state representative. I think he's in a in a South Coon Rapids district, um, which is for folks that don't know, is just north of Minneapolis. Um, and that district is is really blue. At this and point, with the it shouldn't have been. Re redistricting, we got Matt Norris, who is in the Southern Blaine, which is where Aaron Kegel used to be. And mm. he's definitely a DFL. I thought maybe Mike Freeberg. I thought I recognized and, that name. And Matt Norris doesn't even live in the district. But but he's not. He's a he's a he's a Democrat also. So there is looking through this list, there are no Republicans on here. And then other Minnesota elected officials. Anybody oh, want to read out those names there? Oh Lord. Oh, Lord. Keith Ellison, Julie Blaha, Angie Craig, Dean Phillips, and Elon Omar. What you've got there, folks, is you've got the state auditor, the attorney general. You've got the congressional representatives from CD2, CD3, and CD5. Um, Dean Phillips is a, uh, a vodka heiress billionaire from his parents. He's an adopted child who's never worked a day in his life. Angie Craig is supposedly the lesbian out of uh, CD2. Um, another shit box, in my opinion. She doesn't care about anybody. And then, of course, you have our world-famous um, American terrorist, Elon Omar. Um, and for all the Jews out there that vote Democrat, go listen to Elon Omar and find out why you're voting Democrat, because she would like to wipe you off the planet. So this this ranked choice voting is not is not about ranked choice voting. It's about the Democrats and an agenda they have. I'm just going to send Johnny Weather a, 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 an internet hug here. Um, well, I'm not there, trying to pick on, hey, listen, I'm not trying to pick on the Jews, but I have to ask the Jewish people of America, how can you vote for people that are literally against your own country, your own state, and your own religion? How can you vote for people that want to annihilate you? Like, if you don't believe it, read what these people write. Listen to their speeches. Elon Omar does not like you. Period. She is one of the, the one thing I tip my hat at Elon Omar is, and I will give everybody, I will give her this credit. Elon Omar came to America illegally, married with her brother, which is truthful. And she turned around and she used the system. She used the system to win a congressional district seat. Then she goes up to Washington and she campaigns for the Palestinian state against the Jewish people. Well, and here's the here's the document you were looking for, House Resolution 241, uh, introduced to the House 314, 2019, very timely, uh, Johnny, 314, very close to where we're at, and it is uh, condemning the anti-Semitic comments of Representative Ilhan Omar from uh, Minnesota, condemning the anti-Semitic remarks. They always repeat themselves in here. Representative Omar tweeted 
Israel has hypnotized the world. May Allah awaken the people and help them see the evil doings of Israel. She also went on to say, drawing attention to the apartheid, Israel regime is far from hating Jews. It's, and she said it's all about the Benjamins, baby. A reference well, to a song that's about a racist itself. The hundred dollar bill and the AI pack and pro Israel lobbying groups. So she was saying that they're all about the Benjamins, that they're not about the the nonprofit cause that they are. Um, so they uh, they said in here that they are condemning the remarks that she made and uh, is may, uh, asking her to immediately apologize, which she didn't. Not really. And and it's unfortunate because you got the whole squad up there, right? Rashida Tlaib and the rest of them all doing the same thing. This is America. We're supposed to treat each and every person with love and respect. We, we You know, your rights end when they infringe upon mine and vice versa. That's my brother Brad's famous statement right there. He's been saying it for years. He's coined it. He gets me to say it all the time. Elon Omar, if you don't like a certain group of people in this country then you shouldn't be representing people. The bottom line, though, is, is I have issues with people that are representing people when they spew, when they spew this kind of hate. You know, you do didn't you, uh, you didn't do you talk love the about unicorns? your uh, artist, Jay, uh, the Hispanic friends that you have. You got to add him. <laughs> you got to oh, add unicorns in there, too. You love the unicorns? I, I love, and, and, and for you, Captain, apparently I have to love unicorns, too. I, I want to meet one. I want to see one. That's when that happens, and and for my Irish friends, I love leprechauns. Okay, I do. I was just my gonna Irish say, don't know. forget about us, man. <laughs> I won't. But I've got. I everybody knows I'm diversified in my portfolio, and I'm diversified in my friendships. And I Johnny, I subscribe to the world. Unicorns uh, OnlyFans page, and I'm not sure you're ready for that yet. <laughs> Let's start the Irish OnlyFans page. Irish only. Yeah, no, it it's not a hate thing, and I don't care if people want to cancel me. I speak truth. And you shouldn't you shouldn't hate somebody just because they're different than you. Well, mean, let's put it. Let's just let's just put this simply. What you're saying is is Ilhan Omar came over here because she was persecuted by the people and some of the people in the country that she was in. She yes. moved here and she came here for specific reasons, and now she's persecuting people here and doing exactly what was done to her. You got to learn the lessons of life. If you can't learn the lessons that life is trying to teach you, then there's no hope for you at all. And so that I think the hypocrisy of what you see, leave out what race they are. Leave it, leave it all right. out of it. Whatever she was doing, she was persecuted. She came here for it. We all, all of our ancestors were persecuted, came here for it, or they saw the opportunity, wanted to come here, right? And so um, the, if you can't see that your ancestors came here and gave you an opportunity, not an opportunity to take down on other people's race or to take other people down, uh, we can't help you. You're beyond help. Absolutely. And, you know, you think about our Native American friends here in America. Our government made treaties with them, gave them land. That was the agreement. Now they want to infringe upon the land. They want to force a pipeline. They want to do this. They want to do that. That's wrong. I'm, I, I'm a conservative. And you shouldn't be infringing upon Native Americans. Just like Hispanics who want to cross the border for a better life, we should be able to process them through fast, efficiently, and give them the right to live here in America. All these people should have the right. Muslims, you want to live in America? You should have the right to. If you're being persecuted in your country, this is why America was founded. 
was because when, when they came here on that Mayflower boat and those pilgrims got here, they were being persecuted in their own country. This is why America was founded. And then they got here. And then, of course, they started a war with the Native Americans. Native Americans lost the war. And, of course, they made a treaty. Did Americans stick by the treaty? No, Andrew Jackson did not stick by the treaty. Shame on you, Andrew Jackson. Here's an update on our, our climate conversation that we had previously. The world's top climate scientists issue survival guide for humanity, and they call for major course correction. And this is the latest report from the UN's Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change it provides world leaders with a gold standard, gold standard summation of modern climate science. It is the first comprehensive report from UN Climate Panel since the 2015 Paris Agreement. So they wanted transparency by now because they wanted uh, all the countries to say how much they were going to try and reduce their CO2 emissions by. And now they are doing a report to show that we haven't done enough and they want more. So that was just published today. Where's Bill Gates on this? I thought he solved this issue back in 2010. He, he told us if we build these reverse nuclear reactors, we talked about this, this problem would be solved. Where are you, Bill? Where are you, Bill? Well, you know, this whole Paris Accord Agreement, yeah, we all may sign on whatever you want to do, but you know what? What's my country not participating? China. India. There you go. They're all on coal. And they're not it, going to get off of it for again, 15 years. This is a top. It's just what it is. How was your you second time? Did the choice. hour go by too fast or oh, you want to go for fast. another hour? Much. I, we, I could go for three, four more. Captain, Johnny, Artist Jay, we'll talk to you next time. We love you. The world loves you. Keep listening. That was like a dog show. Best in show. Like and share us on Google Podcasts. So your government can listen and follow in on everything you like. Hey, listen to us, follow us, and share us on Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, and of course, Apple Podcast, where you can subscribe, share, and give a five-star rating. You know you love it.